Stella made a beat, so it's go time. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, where we talk about NBA, Memphis Grizzlies, and anything else related to them. I am your host, Nathan Chester, and I am joined by not my co-host, but Brandon Abraham, filling in for my normal co-host, Parker Fleming. Brandon, what's going on, man? Not much, Nate. Just living the dream. How about yourself? Man, the dream is just the dream is what the dream is. Like, what does living the dream mean to you? You know, taking it day by day, uh, you know, sports, you know, have been back for a while now. So it's been almost overwhelming with, you know, the NBA just wrapping up, hockey wrapping up. And then you have NFL, college football, you know, everything kind of going on at once. The World Series starting up. It's uh, been pretty good, you know, kind of tough figuring out what I'm going to watch each night. But yeah, it's, it's been good with sports being back. It's been it's been fun. Yeah, I think it's definitely better to like try to figure out what you're going to watch than realizing you have nothing to watch at all sports-wise, like was the case for us for about four or five months there in quarantine. But I've had a little bit of a hard week myself just with everything that's been going on in my life the last week, and it really did occur to me that I missed the NBA. Yeah, it's it's one of those – I didn't watch near as much of the playoffs as I – you know, kind of thought I would, um, just getting caught up with life in general and the other sports, you know, catch flipping between games. But, you know, kind of ever since, you know, the Lakers won, I'm like, dang, I, you know, I wish I had, you know, appreciated and watched more of the NBA because, you know, we don't know now when it'll be back. Um, you know, we have the draft next month, um, free agency shortly thereafter, but, you know, earliest rumors are is Christmas for NBA start, but we're probably looking at an MLK weekend, which, you know, three months from now, which is kind of, you know, crazy another three months without the NBA, but could be good for the Grizzlies because if they start on MLK weekend, I'd imagine, you know, the Grizzlies will be on that opening slate of games. You would think so, and the Grizzlies have never really received quite the fair shake of national TV games, but you'd like to think that with John Morant and with the direction the team's going, that'll start to change here over the next year and going into the future. But I really do think it's a shame, because I was right there with you, there would be games that I missed for whatever reason that I probably wouldn't have missed in the past, uh, because I love NBA basketball, and I love NBA basketball when it has its highest stakes in the playoffs, but when I did watch which was still more often than not for the most part um it's really a shame I really had the thought it's really a shame that more people were not tuned in and there's multiple reasons for why people weren't as caught up and attuned to the NBA some people just don't care after a four-month layoff um it just it, it doesn't feel the same without the crowd and the atmosphere, and I totally get that. But I don't think you're ever going to quite see as much individual brilliance from some players 
in that environment that you will ever again, because I think guys like Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, and even Nikola Jokic um, were putting on the best performances of their life. And you don't have to worry about travel. You don't have to worry about how late you go to bed at night and the normal things that you have to do are an NBA schedule. And I think it allowed guys like that to play to the very best of their ability consistently. And when the NBA starts back in full force this coming year, I don't think that's something that enough people are going to see or truly appreciate again. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm really interested to see, you know, how the breakout stars, you know, really kind of play next year. Um, you know, you have, like you mentioned, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, they had the insane series. And I mean, any playoff series players are going to step up. Um, you know, I mean, handful of years ago, Mike Conley was going toe to toe with Kawhi Leonard. So, you know, the playoffs itself is a different animal. And then you throw in the bubble atmosphere where, you know, it really kind of helps the offensive team because they, they didn't hear, you know, the, the audio of the, you know, fake fans, you know, so they can kind of, it's almost like playing a pickup ball where they can, you know, call out their plays, um, you know, have clear communication. Whereas, you know, you look at some of the upsets, you know, I'm not sure necessarily. I mean, I think Miami was phenomenal in the bubble, but do they win some of those games if they're, you know, having to go to Boston, having to go to Milwaukee, um, you know, and play in front of those home crowds. So it's, you know, definitely going to be interesting to see what happened in the bubble carry carries over into next year and what kind of, uh, you know, what which players simmer back down to kind of more of their career normals. Yeah, and I think I'm going to use this as a segue to talk about the NBA draft since you mentioned the draft anyway, is that I think there are certain archetypes of players that have become more pronounced based off their performances in the bubble that are going to have an impact on how NBA GMs evaluate players coming into this NBA draft. Take, for example, Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson is one of the best pure spot-up snipers that I've ever seen in my life. Um, It may be a little bit of a hot take, but he's arguably as good of a spot-up shooter as Kyle Korver ever was. And I grew up watching Kyle Korver, so that's not like a prisoner of the moment knee-jerk reaction from me that I think, which I am, of course, known for to a certain degree. But um, he was absolutely incredible. And so when you're evaluating draft prospects, what about somebody like Aaron Nesmith? who dealt with injury issues his freshman year at Vanderbilt, but played in the 16 or 17 games that he played, he shot 52% from three, 52%. That is absolutely absurd. I don't care what level of basketball that you're playing, but shooting 52% from three on a high volume, you take someone like that and you think, okay, I just watched the Miami Heat run a train through the Eastern Conference and Duncan Robinson was a very pivotal piece on their team. And you think about where the NBA is as far as ball movement and spacing and shooting. If Aaron Nesmith went in the top 10, that would not surprise me at all. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think he's, you know, and, and partially too with this draft, it's, not particularly like it's deeper than I initially kind of thought, but it's not really top heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you can probably get about the same value at, you know, late lottery or right outside the lottery as you can, you know, really five, six, you know, five, six or seven, you know, cause I think there's kind of depending on what you need 
you know, Anthony Edwards is probably lower on some teams' boards than others. You know, Wiseman, uh, you know, he's been, you know, I've seen him all over the place on, you know, various national big boards. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd be, you know, not surprised at all if Matt Smith's the top 10 pick. You know, plays out on the wing, can shoot the lights out of the ball. Um, I mean, you know, especially as Grizzlies fans, you know, any wing that looks really good and can shoot the ball, we kind of, <laughs> you know, really like because it's always kind of been the missing piece. So, I mean, the injury concerns obviously there, but, you know, there's a lot of unknown in this draft, especially with, you know, not really the normal combine and pre-draft workout stuff. So, I mean, you know, I think some team will probably take a chance on them. Yeah, for sure. And you know who's someone else that I like? And there's another archetype that I think is why I've started to like this player so much. Um, what archetype do Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray fall into? Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, they're uh, scoring guards. I mean, yeah, they yeah, like an undersized scoring guard that are not pure point guards. It's not like the natural flow of their game to be floor generals that truly create for other people. They both can do that, but that's not the most premier part of their offensive skill set. So I take a look at someone like Tyrese Maxey, who has been out of the lottery in some recent projections that I looked at. He's an undersized scoring guard from Kentucky, and you know, John Calipari is not exactly been great about maximizing the skill sets of prospects that he's had at Kentucky, which is why going on a little bit of a tangent here, I don't know why so many people praised him for having Bam out of bio at Kentucky. He treated Bam out of bio like Stromile Swift <laughs> in his one year at Kentucky. And for him to turn into what he is now at the NBA, I don't think the five or so months that he spent with John Calipari was the reason that he became what he was. But the point I'm trying to make is I think Tyrese Maxey could be even more in the NBA than he was at Kentucky because Cal has a tendency to restrict the skill sets of players that he has there. He fits that smaller scoring guard archetype that Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray fall into. And even though he's undersized as a 6'3 shooting guard, he's a very feisty, very physical defender that I think will translate well to the next level. He's the type of guys that you watch in the playoffs, and when you go into the NBA draft, you're thinking, okay, I could see that guy playing a very similar role, even if it's not to the same degree on our team. And Maxi is one of those players that I like in that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Maxi guy. Um, you know... As a Tiger fan, you know, you always kind of, you know, even though it's been forever, you know, there's always a little bit of, you know, disregard and not really being, you know, cheering for Kentucky. Um, but I got to say, I mean, really a lot of the kids on the team this past year, um, I really liked. Um, and, you know, Tyrese is probably my favorite. Um, I mean, he's just, he can go get a bucket. He's ferocious. Um, you know, he can pass the ball you know, relatively well. Um, he wasn't asked to do it a ton at uh, Kentucky. But, like, I I'm looking at the uh, Ringers mock draft, and they have him falling all the way to 23 to Utah. That's correct. I mean, I think yeah. if, if he falls all the way to 23, that'd be, I mean, the ideal situation for Utah because he could step in and be, you know, backup point guard to Mike Conley right away and, you know, at least be a solid player. He just – he's one of those guys that just screams that – he's going to be a good player in the NBA. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't see any reason that he couldn't just be a starting caliber player as his floor and then maybe a star as his peak ceiling. So the idea that the ringer would have him drop to 23. And I, I have a lot of respect for Kevin O'Connor, and he is more successful in this industry than I probably ever will be. But I cannot say that I've agreed with a lot of his picks. He had Killian Hayes as his top pick in his most recent mock draft. And I like Killian Hayes, but I'm like – Yo, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't see it, but I guess we'll see who's right in the end on that. But you mentioned the Memphis Tigers, and you and I are both Tiger fans. Um, I'm sure you watched the Memphis UCF game last week on chattered fingernails like I did. Um, but as far as basketball is concerned, where do you think Precious Achua is going to end up falling in this draft? I, you know, it, it's really interesting with Precious. Um, and, and something I mentioned earlier, like you look at all these national big boards, whether it's ESPN, The Ringer, Athletic, CBS Sports, Tankathon, it, it, everyone's all over the place because no one really knows how to exactly to evaluate this draft class, especially all the circumstances. Um, my favorite, though, is still Precious going to Boston. I, I think Precious can, you know, slide right in. Um, and, you know, depending on what they do with their free agents and all that, like, I think Precious can kind of be that power forward, you know, small ball five off the bench that can kind of, you know, be a physical defender, protect the rim, and then, you know, also help, you know, crash the glass on the offensive end because, you know, you look at that series with Miami and, you know, that's what really kind of hurt Boston is, you know, I like Daniel Tice pretty well. But they had to go small in their small ball lineup. They just couldn't they couldn't get a rebound. You know, Bam Adebayo just, you know, ate the boards up. So I think having someone like Precious who could come in and help crash the glass would be a, you know, a great fit for them. Um, so I'd personally really like the Precious fit um, to Boston. Yeah, and, and I like the implication of what you're saying there, that uh, Precious Achua could fill that backup five role better than Grant Williams as a Tiger fan that really – warms my heart to hear you say that but um I, if you'll remember this i put this in our uh, gbb slack a while back but it's i remember watching um Kawhi leonard play probably five or six times when he was at san diego state and i think um i probably watched him play jimmer Fredette at byu more than anything but it's eerily similar how well it's it's strange to me just almost how physically identical precious is to Kawhi Leonard and before the sound bite gets taken out of context I would be shocked out of my mind if precious Achua became an NBA superstar in the same mold as Kawhi Leonard but I think there is a precedent there to see a guy who is physically built as athletic as he is at six eight or six nine who projects is a great defender. Like, there's no reason if he reaches his upside that he can't defend five positions in the NBA just like he was doing in college. He has the body and the lateral quickness to be able to do that. And his college numbers are almost identical to what Kai's were, Kawhi's were at San Diego State. Kawhi Leonard could not handle the ball coming out of college. He was not a good shooter by any stretch of the imagination. But I think you can take a look at someone and – Precious Achua is not going to be Kawhi Leonard, not in the slightest. Kawhi Leonard has um, the work ethic of a machine, obviously. But I think you can take a look at that and say there is still room for Precious to grow offensively. 
He's not going to grow in the same way Kawhi Leonard did, but there's room for him to grow, even though he was raw in those areas, for him to become a quality two-way player in the NBA. And if I were him, I'd be watching nothing but Kawhi's film because there is a lot of similarity to their games coming out of college. And uh, hopefully nobody takes that soundbite out of context. It makes me look absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm high on Precious. Um, you know, him coming out now compared to when the Kawhi came out of college, it's a little bit different NBA. You know, he'll Precious can't really be a small forward quite like Kawhi yep. was able to. But, you know, I mean, I think the biggest thing with Precious is um, his three-point shooting more than anything if he can be a you know spacing big um you don't have to be a great three-point you know shooter but just you know really kind of like he was at memphis where um you have to respect the shot a little bit um he'll have you know he's really good at driving in the lane he's not the best you know ball handler in the world but if you give him you know give him at the ball at the top of the arc and just kind of let him you know drive downhill he's you know really good at getting to the basket they're getting fouled or you know making a pretty tough layup he can be a shooter so that defender can't just totally sit back on him you know he's and he has a really high ceiling in the nba i think uh you know kind of like talking about guys we were talking about earlier i think precious is going to be a good nba player um i think a little bit is going to depend on where he ends up um San Antonio is a team that I've kind of heard rumors of, and I think he'd be great in San Antonio. You know, Sacramento, I saw him go into Sacramento in a mock, and I, I think that'd be terrible for him. Yeah, so it, I don't it'll that. be interesting. I think, yeah, I, I think he'll be good wherever he goes, but I think if he can get in a good situation and to play along with your Kawhi comparison, I think, you know, San Antonio would be a great fit for him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So kind of moving beyond Memphis here, and we'll talk about the Grizzlies and who they can select with the 40th pick here in a minute. But really, as far as the first round is concerned, who are some of your favorites? Who are guys that you think are really going to kill it in the NBA? I'm a big Obi Toppin guy. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, I think Obi is going to be really good. I like Denny Advija. I can't pronounce it for the life of me. <laughs> I think but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like him. Um, you know, kind of going off of, you know, even looking at the big board, it's hard to not look at it with a little bit of a Grizzlies eye and, you know, just a solid shooting three-point wing. I really like Denny. Um, you know, I'm high on LaMelo. I'm pretty low on Wiseman just because of his position, mm. um, you know, and not really knowing – how exactly he's going to be as a three-point shooter. I think that's a big question mark. Um, but a lot of the guys I'm high on in it, you know, I don't know if we'll transition this transition this to the Grizzlies, but there's a ton of guards that are going to go from, you know, mid-lottery to really mid-second round that I think, you know, have the potential to be solid starters or, you know, at the very least be good role players off the bench. You know, I'm a – for some reason, Cole Anthony's falling down draft boards. I think oh, that's yeah. insane. Yeah, on him for sure. You know, Nico Manion from Arizona. Um, you know, Kira Lewis, Alabama. You know, you kind of go down the list of everywhere. I like RJ Hampton. I think RJ is going to be solid. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I really think there's a lot of just, you know, 
not great, but, you know, pretty good solid guards that are going to be available, you know, from 15 all the way to, you know, 45, 50. Yeah, for sure. And I think this draft's going to end up looking a lot like the 2013 draft. Like, I think there's a very good possibility that someone picked in the top four is going to end up being a bust in this draft. And if you think that's Wiseman, if you think it's someone else, um, I, I really like Denny Avija's game. But Denny Avija on over 400 free throw attempts and his uh, professional career has shot just, I believe, 53% on them, which is – not a good projection as far as his shooting ability at the next level will be. There are guys that I could see just not transitioning well and not doing well. And you look back at the 2013 draft, and I'm not going to speculate and say someone's going to be as terrible as Anthony Bennett or someone is not going to – like someone is going to be like a ninth man like Nerlens Noel in the top five who came out of that draft. But I think it's going to be a lot like the 2013 draft where you're going to look at people in the 10 to 15 range with Giannis Antetokounmpo being the most famous example of guys who end up turning into all-stars that you thought were maybe just going to be good players or good rotation players, but ended up becoming something far more than you could have ever fathomed them being. It doesn't mean they'll necessarily reach the Giannis tier, but there are so many guys that I could see becoming that. Anyika Kongwu, which <laughs> that just made me, I think, slur my tongue trying to say. <laughs> I think that's the first time I've actually said his name like on a live podcast or something like that but he looks very very similar to bomb on a bio and he he's much farther ahead skill wise than on was at his age who knows what he could become um guys like patrick williams out of florida state who didn't get to show the full range of their skill set in college but he has the makings of an athletic six eight versatile defender and three level shot creator if you possess those attributes there's no telling what you could end up becoming once it's all said and done and there are many guys like you said like that that i think are going to be drafted in the lottery like cole anthony fits into that tyrese maxi small scoring guard tier who i think is one maybe the most underrated player in this draft in the gbb mock draft i took him at 10 for the phoenix suns thought he would be a perfect fit there next to devin booker there are plenty of guys who i think could grow and develop into elite role players and then even more than that it's just going to be about who ends up finding the hidden gems yeah and uh, i think a lot's going to come down to the you know front office and the organizations that draft the guys too because you know taking cole anthony for example um you know new york's probably going to be in the market for a point guard if you know new york takes cole anthony he may not flourish the way he would should a san antonio or you know boston or let's say he drops all the way like 18 to dallas 20 to miami like you know, I think a lot of these guys, you look at the organizations that have been good at developing talent, um, Brooklyn will be an interesting team in the draft. Um, I, you know, I think the situation guys get drafted into are going to be very big for this class because, like you said, there's a ton of guys with talent, but, you know, if they go to a place where they can't really grow and show off their talent, it's going to hurt them. But, you know, if they go to a land where they can flourish, then, you know, like you said, it may not be the next Giannis, but you know Cole Anthony could really, you know, shine and star out, or Tyrese Maxey. So I think it, uh, you know, it a lot depends on the organizations these kids get drafted to, and that'll determine, you know, kind of at least how their first handful of years in the NBA go. 
Yeah, for sure. So kind of like transitioning off of that as far as hidden gems are concerned, let's talk about potential candidates for the Grizzlies with the uh, 40th pick. And I don't think I'm going to end up being disappointed by whoever they end up drafting with that pick because there are so many guys that are projected to go in the second round. And there there are five or six of them. And I think if the Grizzlies drafted them at 40, I'd be really excited about that. There are plenty of guys who I think or legitimate first-round talents who bring potentially elite areas of their skill set to the NBA, and for whatever reason, they're falling down draft boards, and the Grizzlies will have a chance to go after some of those guys. Who are some people that you would like for the Grizzlies at 40? So I'm really kind of hoping, and I think the bubble showed the need to have a third point guard. Um, And I know people's automatic response is, you know, Kyle Anderson and Justice Winslow can kind of be the de facto third point guard, which is, you know, true. But, you know, Justice Winslow's, you know, been unhealthy, you know, good portion of his career. Kyle Anderson, you know, he's fine, but, you know, he doesn't really fit the way the offense, the Grizzlies run. I'm a big Kyle guy, but I'm not sure if I want him, you know, having to run too much point. So, you know, and with the way this draft class works out, I think it's an ideal place at 40th overall to get a solid young guy you know out of college to kind of groom as you know potential backup point guard um you know spend some time in south haven with the hustle you know while everyone's healthy but you know be ready to be called up if there's some injuries um you know after that little tangent i'll name some names i really hope nico mannion um he's projected to go kind of anywhere between 20 and 30 if he were to drop to the Grizzlies at 40, I think I'd be insufferable. Um, <laughs> I, I really like Kara Lewis Jr. from Alabama. Um, I think he's really great. Um, Winston from Michigan State would be solid. You know, Trey Jones from Duke would just be fun because you already have Tyus. Um, other guy, other guards that are going to be in the Grizzlies range, you have Peyton Pritchard from Oregon, Malagai Flynn from San Diego State, Grant Riller. You know, you've got Tyrell Terry, Isaiah Joe. There, there's just so many guys, you know, so many mostly point guards or guys that can kind of be combo guards that should be on the clock with the Grizzlies at 40th that I'm like you. I don't think I'm going to be upset um, with whoever they end up picking yeah, I'm looking at um, Jonathan Gavoni's ESPN mock draft right now, and some of these names that are falling in the 35 to 45 range are just – it's absurd to me. Desmond Bain, who's a 3 and D, six foot six wing from TCU, who uh, really the only knock against him as far as an NBA skill set is his age – Um, He's 23 years old, but I look at someone like that, and I'm like, have NBA GMs and scouts learned nothing from Brandon Clark? (laughs) I mean, you've got to look at who is a really good basketball player, and sometimes you've got to leave the other measurables, the age, among other things, and just stop overthinking it. Pick a really good basketball player, because a really good basketball player will probably still be a really good basketball player in the NBA, but Tyrell Terry, if he fell to the Grizzlies 40 I'd be dancing in my seat um, he's a under he's a small point guard 6'2 but a potentially generational shooter he showed that in his freshman 
season at Stanford. If you can shoot the ball, you will find a place in the NBA. Seth Curry is an undersized guard in his own right, and he has become one of the best spot-up shooters in the league. If you can do that, you find a place. Um, I'm on. T- I'm the captain of the Grant Riller hype train. His age is what's working against him. But I watched the Grizzlies struggle in Orlando, and I watched um, teams like the Utah Jazz struggle at the end of playoff games because they simply didn't have someone who could just go get them a basket. That's why the Grizzlies lost in their playing game to Portland. That is incredible as Ja Morant was. C.J. McCollum just decided to shut the door because he made whatever shot he wanted to at the end of that game. Someone like Grant Riller is the best, probably the best overall three-level shot creator in this draft, and he's projected to be available around 40 when the Grizzlies are picking them. Don't overthink it. Don't leave the measurables behind. Look at who can really just ball. And Grant Riller is one of those people. Malachi Flint, Peyton Pritchard. Um, there's just so many options that you can choose. I'm a huge Cassius Winston guy on the, the topic of looking for a third point guard. Might be the best overall three-level shooter in the draft. Um, he was in the 90-plus percentile for almost every single spot on the floor shooting during his four-year career at Michigan State. He's a winner, brings intangibles, overcome unimaginable adversity when he was at college. Um, his brother could, uh, his brother died when he was at college, and he had to play through that during his senior year. I want that guy in my locker room. I want a leader like that on my team, especially one who's as skilled as he is. Personally, I think the Los Angeles Lakers will take him at 30 because they're probably looking for another point guard, but he's another guy who could possibly be available. The point is, I don't really think the Grizzlies can go wrong here. There are going to be so many good options, and Kleiman and the rest of the crew have not steered the ship wrong yet. So I have faith they're going to make the right selection or a good selection with whoever they decide to pick at 40. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree completely. I think, I, I think you know, just knowing how Grizz Twitter can be, there's going to be arguments over who they should take at 40 because I don't think it's just going to be totally clear. I think there's going to be probably at least three to four guys that, you know, the Grizzlies would be lucky to get and would be excited to have. And you'll have, you know, arguing over semantics of, you know, no, should they have taken Tyrell Terry over a Grant Riller or vice versa? But, I mean, I, I just think there's going to be a handful of options for the Grizzlies to, you know, look at at 40. And, you know, even look even later in the draft. Um, I, I'm working on a draft prospect for later this week um, and a guy that I, I just don't know why he's, other than Sam Vicini, who has him in the 30s, everyone has him outside of the fifties or not even in their top 50 at all is uh, Sam Merrill out of Utah state. Mm-hmm. And he, he's kind of the same thing that, you know, you you're just talking about where it's the biggest knock on him is his age. He's 24 years old. And I, I don't know why that's all of a sudden old, but he, he's arguably the best three point shooter in the draft. He's, you know, some people have called him, you know, the next Duncan Robinson because he's, you know, he did everything at Utah State, and I know they didn't have the best, you know, competition in the world, but the, you know, the dude got buckets, and you know, if, you know, I guess spoiler alert for my piece, but you know, I don't, I don't think the Grizzlies should necessarily take him at 40th overall, unless the run of guards we named earlier get taken earlier than expected. But you know, if the Grizzlies are thinking about getting a pick, and you know the fifties and Sam's there, you know, I think, you know, he's a great, you know, guy to consider or, 
definitely try and bring in as an undrafted free agent, either on a two-way deal or whatever. Uh, but he's kind of my – he's probably my guy that I'm sitting here thinking, how is he not even getting drafted in some of these mock drafts? Because I, I think he's just going to be – you know, if he gets an opportunity, he's going to be a bucket. Yeah, for sure. And we'll close with this, and I'll just ask you a question. If it's the same answer as what you just give, I won't hate it. But um, you have one pick at 40. Like, um, who's the guy who is generally considered to be available in that draft range? Who's the one guy you absolutely want the Grizzlies to pick? Uh, Probably Peyton Pritchard. Um, Yeah. I I think, um, you know, he – He's kind of in that range on everyone's mock draft. Um, I mean, I really like Tyrell Terry, but I know he's higher than 40 on some mocks. But I like Pritchard um, because he's, you know, a veteran guard. You know, he's not – he hasn't spent just one year in college. You know, he spent four years at Oregon. And I think – you know, I just think, you know, he was – he improved as a three-point shooter over his career, kind of took on a larger offensive role, especially his senior year. And, you know, I, I just think it's kind of – kind of like Brandon Clark this past year where even though he was a rookie talking to him he kind of felt like a veteran I think you know having Peyton Pritchard be his your kind of third point guard that spent some time in South Haven and and with the Grizzlies you know I don't I don't think you can really go wrong with that and um, so that that's probably would be my top guy that I think will be there at 40 that I would love for the Grizzlies to take Um, a guy like Tyrell Terry I would probably take over but i think he'll be gone earlier um yeah just to answer your question Peyton pritchard my guy yeah yeah and i'm right there with you i love pritchard a lot um definitely definitely brings intangibles and just pure talent that he showed over four years at oregon and made them into one of the top programs in the country during his time while he was there uh for me it's still grant ruler like i said i'm a captain of the hype train i want someone who is a pure shot creator for this team something the grizzlies absolutely need um shooting is a little bit of a premium. It's not the hardest thing to find in the league, but finding someone who can go get you a bucket during crunch time, that is extremely difficult to find. The Grizzlies have been strapped for that type of player for basically their entire history in the city of Memphis. And I think Grant Riller along could join Dylan Brooks as players who bring that type of skill set and ability to the Memphis Grizzlies going forward. Brandon, I think that's all we got time here for today, man. Why don't you plug your stuff and tell everybody where they can find you? Oh, yes. As always, uh, you can find me on Twitter at BC Abraham. Um, Follow SBN Grizzlies on Twitter as well. Uh, Between myself, Nate, and his normal co-host, Parker Fleming, we've always got great stuff coming out. Um, You know, got a a ton of player profiles for free agency and the draft um, that have been posted out over the last couple of weeks. Um, So, yeah, just, you know, follow me, follow the blog, and I appreciate you having me, Nate. For sure, man. It's awesome to have you. And you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24, and you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Remember, don't cancel me. And that's all, folks. (laughs) 